Hi everyone, I'm Holly Daly, your newest AUSA Family Readiness Director, and welcome to Family Voices. I am happy to host our guest today, Mrs. Patty Barron, who was appointed on January 20th as the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Military Community and Family Policy. Military Community and Family Policy establishes quality of life policies and programs, which contributes to enhancing readiness for the total force. Patty also provided me with a warm handoff from her previous position as AUSA's Family Readiness Director. She is also a military spouse and mother, and to me, she is a great mentor and a wonderful friend. Welcome, Patty. We are so thrilled you could join us today. Hello, Holly. Hello. I miss my AUSA peeps so much, so <laughs> I'm just thrilled to be able to talk to a wonderful friend and also to be connected with AUSA again. I'm always excited when we can get together and talk. So to get started, would you mind allowing our listeners to learn a little bit more about yourself? Absolutely. I am an immigrant from another country. I immigrated to the United States when I was six years old and grew up in California. So I am a California girl, although I don't know that the Beach Boys had me in mind when they had their song, uh, the number one. I didn't um, know you grew up I, in California. I did in Northern California in the Bay Area near San Francisco, which is a fantastic place to grow up. I then went to the University of San Francisco, as a matter of fact, and I met my future husband there, who happened to be an ROTC cadet. And Mike and I started dating probably our sophomore year and never looked back. We got married right after graduation, and we headed off to Fort Benning, Georgia. Mike was commissioned in the infantry, and I was an infantry wife. And back in the day, we used to say infantry wife. Now we say infantry spouse. We went through our military journey for 30 years raised three wonderful kids in that time span. And as a professional, I actually had graduated with a Bachelor of Science of Nursing and eventually got a master's in community mental health. But like so many other military spouses, I basically am a jack of all trades and a master of none. I ended up with seven different state licenses to be an RN at the different states that we lived in. And I never did quite make it to becoming a licensed professional counselor because of all of the requirements that each state has. And I was never in a state long enough to complete those requirements. So I ended up in the advocacy world, starting out with the National Military Family Association probably about 15 years ago, and then went on to Sarah 3. And then one day I received a phone call from Sylvia Kidd, who had started the family programs at AUSA. And she said, I'm retiring, and I'm wondering if you would be interested in applying for my job. I couldn't believe it. I absolutely applied, and I got hired by then CEO and President uh, General Gordon Sullivan, and that was about nine years ago before I landed in this position, and I just had the best time at AUSA, absolutely the best time. So that's a little bit about me. Oh, and, and I forgot to mention that I am married to a wonderful man, Colonel Mike Barron, USA retired, and he and I have been married for like forever, 41 years now, which is crazy. Well, congratulations on your 41 years of marriage. And I know that you have two grandchildren. I bet spending time with them are just as precious. Oh, absolutely. Thank you, Holly. My two little grandchildren, my two little princesses, Violet and Sophia, they're actually now stationed in Germany because my daughter, Megan, is a veteran. She served for seven years and was commissioned out of the College of William and Mary. And now she's a military spouse like I was. Well, thank you to your whole family for serving and continuing to serve. 
So, Patty, we took our listeners on a little bit of a journey, how we led up to your position at AUSA and then moving forward. So if you don't mind, I'd like to stop at that point when you were at AUSA for your nine years. And I wanted to ask you, what was your original vision at AUSA? Do you remember it? And how did you build upon that vision? That's a great question, Holly, because I think that first year that I was at AUSA was a blur. I had so much learning to do, trying to kind of figure out what my role was and really what AUSA needed from family programs. I followed in some huge footsteps. Sylvia Kidd was so well-known, so well-respected, and Sylvia just knew what she wanted to do, and she did it. And I got there and thought, you know, General Sullivan's words to me were, make this your own. And I thought, okay, those are great words, sir, but I'm not quite sure what that means to me yet. And that first year, I just did a lot of listening, an awful lot of learning. And then the second year that I was there, I realized that I didn't have a strategic plan for the family programs directorate at the time. I really thought hard about the name family programs. And I thought, you know, we really don't have programs. This is really more about supporting Army families throughout their military life journey. And so I really wanted to change the name to family readiness. And with permission from our executive leadership, I was able to do that. And once I was able to do that and call it the Family Readiness Directorate, that really kind of paved the way for where I wanted to go. So one of the things that I did was I did create an internal strategic plan for the Family Readiness Directorate and kind of landed on four different pillars, if you will. One being bringing the voice of Army families to AUSA as much as I could. The second one is to bring the initiatives and programs and quality of life projects to those families so that they knew how the Army and how the department was supporting them. I also wanted to make sure that we looked at the issues that pertained to Army spouses, such as childcare, military spouse employment. And although I couldn't specifically do anything for that, as in AUSA headquarters, we only have a certain number of people that work there. So it wasn't like we had tons and tons of openings where we could hire military spouses. I did want to make sure that we were part of the conversation that was going on in the military service organization world, as well as at the Pentagon and on the Hill. So making sure that I was out there, getting to know lots of different people, representing AUSA as much as I can. And that paid off really in dividends because I started getting associated with AUSA. I started getting invited to different discussions and roundtables and focus groups. And that was fantastic. I also wanted to support our chapters. They really are the boots on the ground, if you will, for AUSA. And so making an effort to get to know our chapter leaders, our region presidents, really trying to find out what they needed from us at the national headquarters. And that was a harder journey than I thought because every chapter is different and has a different focus for their geographic area. And then I would say that the last thing I really wanted to make sure that I did was that I supported any advocacy efforts that we had at AUSA, especially if it was legislation that was pertaining to military families. And so I have had a great relationship with the government affairs folks. That's kind of what I looked at. And then once I decided, well, what were my four pillars, I needed to create goals and objectives under each one. And that's how I came up with serving our Army families through AUSA. And it was a lot of fun in doing it, though, and lots of stops and starts and going down the wrong roads and heading back and trying another way. But lots of support and wonderful people behind me. It was easy to do. Well, Patty, I want to personally thank you for the wonderful foundation and program that you built as the Family Readiness Director at AUSA. And I am so honored to carry that torch forward. So you know you will always be a part of the AUSA family, and we miss you so much. Are you ready to come back? (laughs) 
only to come back and support you, Holly. I couldn't be happier knowing that you are there and carrying on. I couldn't have thought of a better person in the world. And I will tell you, it's kind of funny. I needed a new neck thing for my tech card. And I found my AUSA one and I went to put it on and Mike said, I don't think you can do that because you're going to show favoritism to AUSA. (laughs) That's too funny. So I ended up with a Georgetown one instead. Well, you know, I could bling one out for you if you really want to wear our AUSA one. (laughs) Please do. So, Patty, you have years of experience under your belt from working with people and patients as a nurse and leadership and management experience with nonprofits and being a member on various boards to advocate for our families, as well as being a military spouse and mother. If you don't mind me asking, can you tell us about that special day when you found out you were appointed to be Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Military Community and Family Policy? What was going through your mind? Holly, I'll never, ever, ever forget that phone call. I was actually FaceTiming with Megan in Germany, and somebody was trying to cut through the number was a Boston number. And I turned to Megs and I said, you know what? I don't know who that is. I'll just keep talking. So I totally ignored the call. And then after we hung up, there was voicemail. And I thought, oh, I better find out who this is. I had already gone through a few interviews for the position, but never in a million years did I think that they would pick me. I mean, I just, it, 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 I didn't even, I mean, how I even got the interviews, it was, I was, I was just flabbergasted. But anyway, when I looked at the voicemail, it was from one of the folks that I had been talking to, and she just left a little voicemail that said, I've got an update for you. Can you please give me a call? Now, during my last interview, I had asked the question, you know, how soon will we know? And they had said that they had narrowed it down to three people, that they were going to let the third person go relatively quickly, but hang on to number two in case number one said no. So because they called about two and a half weeks after my last interview, I was for sure that they were calling to tell me, thank you, you were wonderful, but no thank you. So I was ready. I was ready for them to tell me I was number three. And I thought, what an honor, what a great experience to even be interviewed for this position. So I called her back and she said, Patty, hi, this is so-and-so. I've got great news to share. We're honored to offer you a conditional appointment as Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Military Community and Family Policy. And the first words out of my mouth were, are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) I just couldn't even believe it. And truthfully, Holly, I was scared to death. You know, they gave me a little bit of time to think about it. And so I was able to talk to my family. And I even called General Ham, actually, who is a wonderful person, as you know. And I feel he is one of my mentors as well. And they all said, basically, of course, of course, it's you. You've got this experience. You've got this. You've got that. You've got the military life in your background. And I knew all those things to be true. But I think this is very typical of us military spouses is that we always don't feel worthy of something or that we can do something, mainly because our career progression has been so um, zigzaggy. You know, I've done everything in the world besides being a nurse and a counselor because I've had to. Oh, yes, I understand being a jack of all trades. (laughs) Exactly. And to say yes to a role like this, where I was really going to be a leader and making decisions that were going to impact military families, I think the only reason why I really said yes is because I felt that I could make a difference and I wanted to give myself the opportunity to do so. But I was scared to death before I got there. And it's like anything else, you know, the anticipation is always worse than the actual event. 
Wow, what an honor. And we absolutely know that you can do this and we're in good hands. Thank you, Holly. That's so sweet. Well, we were talking about your educational and employment journey, which includes transitions from one position to another, which I'm sure throughout the years, like you just said, being a military spouse, it include a lot of PCS moves in that time, too. I also know that transitioning is a passion area for you to include transitioning between jobs. So I have to say how grateful I am for the warm handoff that I received during my transition of coming on board to AUSA. It wasn't the normal handoff as you had a quick transition to your new position. If you don't mind, can we share what warm handoffs mean to us when it comes to leaving one job and entering another? So, for example, what would you consider would be a best practice of a warm handoff into a new job, and what would that look like to you? So that's a fantastic question, and I would be happy to have that discussion. I think one of the things that I tried hard to do, Holly, and I don't know that I had all the time to finish doing it, was I wanted to leave the new person a roadmap of what to expect that first year. And I think it was because my first year was so hard. I mean, I literally had nothing to follow. Luckily, I had two staff members that had been there for a little while and really helped guide me through all of the different wickets. But I think having a roadmap that you can leave behind, it doesn't have to be completely full because anything can change at any time, but just a general idea of what to expect, who to go to to help answer questions that you might have. For those of us that have budget responsibilities, what the budget thinking has been in the past, you know, why you spent money on things and not others. And then who have you been talking to, but you haven't quite finalized those discussions and whatnot, because all those things come up. I'm sure you're already finding that to be true. And so for me, that is a great warm handoff. Obviously, you don't always get the opportunity to do that. I think we were really lucky in that we knew each other. We're still in the same area. We're still more or less working in the same space. So that's why it was so possible. But that's not always the case. And you might have some examples of when that's not the case. Well, first, I really appreciate you made a transition notebook that you left that was really great and helpful as a roadmap for myself. But mostly, I'm so appreciative that you are always willing to help me and stop even though you have a really full plate yourself. Talking about warm handoffs when you're going from one position to another, like many of us, you know, sometimes you just hit the ground running and you don't have that perfect opportunity to start in an organization. So for like myself, if I'm interviewing for a job, I like to look at the organization and research it and pay attention to the culture that they have. And then once I'm hired, I like learning the overall structure of an organization and where do I fit into that structure and how can I help support success for the overall organization and help them accomplish their mission. And then from there, go around and do your in-person meet and greets internally in the organization and then externally. But I do find that the roadmaps or the transition or continuity books are so critical and so important to set up the new person for success and for the organization as a whole. Absolutely. And I would say that when you don't have that, it just makes it a bit harder. But when you find yourself without that, then really relying on the people that you're working with becomes super critical as well. Yes, it's all about the people. They make what the organization is. So, Patty, we have been mentioning your new position. Can you explain to our listeners what specific programs fall under military, community, and family policy? 
I think the operative word in my new position is policy. And that's something that I'm really getting used to. I've always been kind of at the ground level. You know, I've always just done what I needed to do to get the job done. And in this position, I've got fantastic professional staff that have been doing their job for a while. And so my biggest role was to stay out of their way and let them do the good work. When I first came into the office, you have the idea that you should do something right away or that you should know everything. And that's been a hard lesson for me to learn in that there was no way in the world based on this portfolio that I was going to know a lot of it. I knew the issues really well because obviously as a military family member myself and through my advocacy work, I certainly know a lot of the issues. But there were also some pieces to my portfolio that were not as well known. So just real quick, I'll just mention that the quality of life issues that I'm responsible for are family, child, and youth programs, the military one source program, SECO, the spouse education career opportunities, the military family life consultants, the morale, welfare, recreation, and resale. That was a surprise to me in that under resale come the exchanges, so policy for the exchanges, as well as for MWR, the family advocacy program casualty, mortuary affairs, and military funeral honors, believe it or not, falls under my purview. And so when you have such a vast portfolio of issues, you have to depend on your experts to kind of lead the way. What I learned is at the very beginning, as you're seeing, Holly, you know, you get tons of briefings that people are briefing you right and left, and they're telling you all about the great work that they're doing and how they're doing it and all that. And you're smiling and you're nodding your head and inside you're going, there's no way I'm going to remember any of this. So keeping notebooks, you know, obviously the notes that I have, but all the briefings and kind of having them handy and pulling them out when I was having a meeting with someone just kind of refresh my memory has helped me quite a bit. And then to just have so much help as compared to when I was at AUSA, not that people didn't love family readiness because they did, but it was just Thea and I, just like it is just you and Thea right now. But here at DOD, not only do I have directors in all those areas, and they all have staff, but I also have a front office staff. There's about four to five people in the front office staff that keep things moving along. And that took a little getting used to as well, allowing people to do their jobs and trying to stay at the strategic level. And that's really what I'm learning the most is what is the strategy behind the policy? What is mandated by Congress for us to do? What do we do on top of it? But really, it always boils down to the services that carry out that policy, that know the culture of the folks within each service, and then make sure that their quality of life initiatives are also aligned very nicely with the policy that we create. I hope that explains a little bit about what we do. It's taken me a little while to kind of figure that out. (laughs) Wow, what a portfolio. Thank you for giving us an insight to military community and family policy. Is it too early for me to ask, have you set your goals? Yeah, it's not too early because what I actually did was I set my strategic imperatives and it took me about two months to figure out what they were. And then once I was able to do that, I shared it with the entire team and they are, some of them are going to sound familiar, to bring the voice of military families to MCNFP. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. It's through collaborations and connections with the military service organizations, such as AUSA. It's through discussions with spouses that I know and kind of keeping up to date on what's going on with them. It's through the surveys and research that comes out of the department, but it's also paying attention to the surveys and the outcomes of those surveys that are done by other MSOs and other folks in this space. 
it's by doing a lot of listening, but also by making sure that our communication efforts are reaching the right people with the right messaging. And all of that, it's so important because we have to be able to figure out a way that is what we're doing, making an impact and the kind of impact that we want on our military families. So that's number one. Number two, I feel very strongly about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And by that, it's not just gender. It's not just race. It's about thinking about who our audience is, thinking about who our families are, thinking about even within our own team, how it's made up. Are we using language that is inclusive, our our graphics representative of the community that large? You know, I like to talk about the modern military family, which is very different than the family that I grew up with as a young spouse. You know, we've got same-sex families. We've got male spouses that are the stay-at-home while the female service member is out deploying and doing their military thing. We've got many blended families. You know, it just goes on and on. And so just making sure that we're thinking about all of the different types of populations and the way that we communicate and and opportunities and equity and in all of the things that we do. So DEI, that's important. The third thing I would say, and it's one of my favorites, I stole this term from a friend of mine, and she would always say the art of the possible. And for me, really wanting to make sure that the folks that work with me understand that the art of the possible is something I value. Let's think outside the box. Let's try to get to yes. If we can't get to yes, then let me know. Give me a good understanding of why it has to be no. Making sure that we're following good recent trends and best practices in the 21st century, not the 20th century. And so all of those things come into play. And then the last one is team building on all levels, team building within the MCNFP, team building within personnel and readiness. That's where we at MCNFP belong with the Undersecretary of Defense for Personnel and Readiness. And it's team building with our MSO leaders and with the civilian community. How do we do that? And now one last little caveat would be not to forget to see this through the lens of COVID-19, because we have done so many different things in the last year and a half. We talked about such a different warm handoff. Team building in a COVID environment is very different than team building when you're face-to-face with people. And so to kind of think about how COVID has impacted us, how it might have changed us, what the work environment will look like what the family environment looks like, just on and on, and especially the impact that's had on our children and moving forward. So those are the strategic imperatives that I have set for myself and for the MCNFP, and then everything else just kind of aligns underneath it. Well, thank you, Patty, for explaining that importance and the importance of the connection and team building, because when we can all provide that open avenue to each other, we come together for the goodness of our service and family members to help them with enhancing their resiliency and readiness through uncertain times like we just seen over this past year. So, Patty, I always enjoy talking with you and can talk with you for hours, especially from one military spouse to another and one great friend to another. Before we go, do you have any last words for our listeners? Oh, colleague, I feel the same way. I love talking to you. Absolutely. And I can't wait for the day that we can have lunch together again. But I would say one thing, and I'm hoping that a lot of the listeners out there are military spouses themselves. And we know, we know, you and I know how hard it can be to raise our family in this environment. I mean, we moved 18 times in 30 years. Four of those moves, we kind of decided to move from house to house, but 14 of them were PCS moves. And that's hard. It's hard on raising kids. It's hard on your career. It's hard on a lot of different things, keeping relationships going. 
But I think the message that I want to give to our listeners is to say, never give up on your dreams, never give up on your ambitions. There are going to be times when you're going to find yourself possibly a stay-at-home parent wondering, gosh, you know, I have a master's in such and such, and I'm not quite sure if I'm living up to my full potential. Well, in that period of time, you are. You're doing a very important thing, which is taking care of your children. But always keep your eye on the prize. So when you volunteer, when you decide that maybe you want to take classes, think about what your passions are and stick with them. Because my passion has always been supporting the military community, supporting my husband through his career, making sure my kids are doing okay, and then finding ways to give back. And I'm just so honored to have been able to do that through the many, many roles that I've played some of them as innocent as being a tour guide at the United States Military Academy, all the way up to Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Military Community and Family Policy. So don't ever let go of your dreams. They're out there. You can get to them. Sometimes it just takes a window that's open if the door has been closed. What a wonderful message. Thank you, Patty. So our time has come to close this edition of Family Voices Podcast. Patty, I would like to thank you for being a great mentor and role model for me with all your educational and professional experiences, your volunteer involvement in our communities, schools, and volunteering on boards and staying relevant. I know we are in good hands. All of us here at the Association of the United States Army want to sincerely thank you, Patty, for joining us and for sharing with us your knowledge, experiences, and insights about your military life journey especially about your spouse employment journey that led you to be the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Military Community and Family Policy. Please know we are so very proud of you and happy for you. We are cheering you on, and we are so grateful that you are continuing to take care of our families, your passion, and we know firsthand how much you love our military families. To our listeners, if you would like to learn more about military community and family policy, you can go to the Military OneSource website at www.militaryonesource.mil. We hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as we have, and we welcome your feedback and recommendations for future subjects. Thank you and have a great day. To all our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Army Matters podcast on iTunes and everywhere podcasts are found. The Army Matters podcast series is brought to you by the Association of the United States Army, the U.S. Army's professional association, member-supported, Army-connected. Visit us at AUSA.org for more information or to become a member. Your membership helps AUSA continue to carry out its mission to educate, inform, and connect with the total Army, our industry partners, and our supporters of a strong national defense. For questions or to provide topic recommendations, email us at podcast at AUSA.org. Have a great Army Day. Hua.